0: Al Bayan Radio presents the following program from Masjid Al Azhar Bilmo presented by Sheikh Khalid Muhammad <laughs> Uh, to my beloved brothers lesson 13 alhamdulillah of the seerah series and insha'allah ta'ala today we'll be getting straight into the topic which is the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam being a shepherd the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam being a shepherd and a shepherd also known as a sheep herder is someone generally who tends to tends to sheep who takes care of sheep and the likes You know, like sometimes you've seen, I'm pretty sure everyone's seen, yani, some, usually you see an old, older man, uh, walking with a staff or something like that, and their sheep going around, around the mountains and stuff like that. Generally speaking, yani, that's what a, that's what a shepherd is. So we said that it's known, just brothers, if you can just please, uh, get, if the kids need a wanna talk in that, you can send them to the back, inshallah. Uh, ta'ala. No problem if they want to if, Especially if they're a lot younger You can send them There's a back room as well, as well over there Inshallah, They can go and sit down over there So a shepherd or a sheepherder As we said Is someone who generally uh, tends to sheep He takes care of their affairs from feeding and giving them to drink or leading them so they can eat and drink and uh, the other affairs which we're going to see, inshallah uh, ta'ala. Also, brothers, a shepherd, and this is important for a hadith we always hear, a shepherd in the dictionary also is a person who protects, guides, or watches over a person or group of people. And you can also add to that, yani, or something, like for example, as we said, a group of animals and the likes. So once again, in the dictionary, a shepherd is also a person who protects, guides, or watches over a person or a group of people. And that's where the connection is. That's where the connection is when we are accustomed to hearing the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, عَنْ رَعِيَتِهِ that all of you are shepherds, and all of you will be questioned or are responsible over their flock, over their herd. And that's why the Prophet, ﷺ, when he said this, he says, All of you are shepherds, and all of you are responsible for their flock. And then he goes on to say, Wal ra," and the Amir is a Ra'i, he's also a shepherd over obviously those who he is a leader over, and those who he is, for example, a khalifa over, and the likes. So that's the ruler now. Then the Prophet ﷺ moves on and he says, And the man, and this is so important, subhanAllah. And actually, in Al Bukhari, this is under the chapter heading. And for my students that attend Bukhari regularly, they know I always push them and tell them if you can look at where the hadith is found under what chapter heading you'll be able to get an, some insight or an understanding on the view of the one that collected the hadith for them to put it under that heading So here it's under the heading babu haqqi Al 'ala al-mar'ah It's under the heading of the chapter of the right of the husband over the wife and we're going to see, insha'Allah ta'ala, very shortly something about that. For so he says now, the husband or the man is a guardian, is that shepherd, the protector, the one that guides, the one that pushes in the right direction. Who? The family. <laughs> he is that guardian, he is that shepherd over his household, his wife, and his children. And then he moves on sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he says, And the lady, look at now the wife's position, the mom's position according to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Not according to what you see today from the West and feminists and the likes. No, according to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, and the lady is a shepherd. Once again, go back to that linguistic definition we said in the dictionary. One who protects, one who guides, one who takes care of and watches over. Father Amir, the ruler, he is the guardian over his flock. Those who he's a ruler over. The man is that guardian, that shepherd over his family, his wife and his children. The lady is a guardian in her husband's house. She takes care of the affairs of the affairs of her household, and as the hadith says, and his children, his offspring. Yani, her own children. And then he says, He repeats the phrase You're all shepherds. All of you have a position. All of you have something to do. All of you have a responsibility. And you're all going to be asked about that responsibility. So as we said, the man is responsible. And the lady is responsible. In this case, the husband and the wife are responsible. And when these responsibilities get flipped, when these responsibilities are neglected, that's when families start to be torn apart. And when these responsibilities or when these positions are neglected, likewise, families are torn apart. So when you flip the roles in society, the husband becomes the wife and the wife becomes the husband. Families get torn. This is not the way that it should be. Rather the man is the man and the woman is the woman. The lady is the lady. Each have a very important role in their marriage, in society, in the ummah. Each has a very important role. But when the man tries to be like the lady and the lady tries to be like the man, that's when it gets dangerous. And as I said, families get torn apart. When the positions are flipped and reversed or neglected and the likes. And once again, I want to repeat now that we're not talking general, uh, we're not talking yani, about specific circumstances, brothers. Especially now, what we're about to mention, inshallah. We're not talking about, for example, maybe a father who has wallah, extreme back pain or problems or he's in a wheelchair or he's extremely sick that he's not able to go out and work so that he can provide. We're not talking about those specific scenarios likewise we're not talking about a sister who for example once again maybe is in a wheelchair or she's disabled or she's not able to take care of the affairs of the home the way she would like to these are special circumstances we're talking about the general rule the general rule is the man knows his position and the woman knows her position and it's very important that they fulfill their positions and the responsibilities which their positions entail The Prophet ﷺ, or before that, as I mentioned on the khutbah today, subhanAllah, I was going to mention tonight, because of the following narrations which we're about to mention, brothers. I advise every single father, just like I advise the mothers, if you have children, especially if they're in their teenage years, get them to work with you. Get them, especially the sons, yani kids, I mean the sons especially. And for the mothers at home, the girls, the daughters, get them to do something. Get them to work. Get them to understand that life is not laying down on your sofa, laying down on your couch or in bed, expecting everyone else to do the job for you. Get them to go out there. And that's why it's so sad today, subhanAllah, you'll see a father. He wants to take, or a mother wants to send her son to work with his dad. Now, obviously, there's some jobs, you know, the kid can't get khalas, whatever the reason is. But generally speaking, the her father can take his son to work with him and get him to do something. What's he scared of having to pay his son a little wage of $50 a day, $60, $70 a day. Yani, Take him to work, even if it's for a few hours. For the mother wants to send the, the son to work. And you see, for example, the father saying, no, no, he's too young. No, no, wait a little bit, man. he's already 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 If he's too young now, when's it going to be time? If it's not time now Or you get the father saying I'm going to take my son to work with me tomorrow And then you might get the mother saying Lala, he's too young, don't take him Too young what? Once again, 13, 14, 15 especially for so train your children and get them accustomed to working Why? Because if you don't, there's going to be so many negative consequences which are going to result because of that. And I mean for both the boys and the girls. I mean for both the boys and the girls. If they're going to grow up, then you're going to get the boy going into his 20s, for example, ready for marriage, gets married, because he never worked a day in his life. Now that he needs to support his wife and her needs, and his children and their needs, He finds it hard on himself to even work for a few hours. Especially if it's work which entails really manual labor. Like a trade or something like this. So when he's told to go and work for those few hours, you need to support your family. He finds it hard. And then what? He wants to live off Centrelink and sit down at home all day. Or he wants his wife to go out and work all day. And him sit at home and the likes. And likewise the girls. The girl gets married. Her husband's going to work. He's working hard, he's struggling, he's supporting the family. He comes home and nothing in the house is done. Why? Because for her to vacuum a house, that is something that it's like the world is on her shoulders. For her to maybe make some food, it's like the world is on her shoulders. Why? Because the parents did not raise them like that. Or did not train them like that. For when is it going to be time if it's not time now, my brothers? to train your children, teach your children. As we're going to see, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi 15 years old, and he was participating in his first battle. As we're going to see, inshallah and some of the ulama said 20. If I look at the way they were, and look at the way we are. Unfortunately, sometimes we see our 15-year-olds, our 16-year-olds, sometimes our 20-year-olds, I don't even know, maybe even more than that. For them, they're sitting on the PlayStation or Xbox Half the day and the other half they're sleeping and going to the toilet and showering and eating. And even then they'll be complaining. But it's very, very important, my brothers, when it comes to your sons, for example, especially in this holiday period, and that's what made me say it on the mimbar today, especially in this holiday period and the holidays coming up, six weeks, six weeks, Take them, my brother, and get them to work. Don't say, Wallah, haram, and you know, they're still young and they might get a bit affected, they might get a scratch on them. No, take them. Get them accustomed to once again that they need to understand that life isn't easy in the sense they're just going to sit back and money's going to come to them because, like I said, that's going to lead them, that's going to lead them to a point that when they get married, they're going to be neglectful of their partner's rights and likewise their children's rights and things like this. For the Prophet he says, <الْغَنَم> That Allah Azza وجل did not send a single Prophet, except he was a shepherd. He cared for sheep and the likes. And then the companions, they said, And his companions, they said to the Prophet And you, and you as well, for the Prophet ﷺ said, Na'am, kuntu ala li ahli Yes, I used to be this shepherd. I used to take care of these sheep with a modest wage. And the qirat as we're going to see as Ibn Hajar, wa anhu, he says, juz'un min The qirat, this is what he was earning, just a few parts يعني, of a dinar and a dirham. That's why they translated he to be a modest wage. Just a little bit. He says, I was a shepherd with a modest wage on behalf of the people of Mecca. And that shows as well, يعني, there's no problem with, with working in, in positions like this as we're going to see. So after we said our last lesson, the Prophet ﷺ going back from his meeting with Bahira, he started to seek those provisions. And we mentioned already how Abu Talib, his uncle, was not wealthy. Was not wealthy as Ibn Sa'ad mentions. Wa Abu Talib la Abu Talib the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu He had no wealth. He wasn't wealthy. For I mentioned that because now you can understand. It's even more emphasized for the Prophet sallallahu alaihi because he was in the care of Abu Talib now when his grandfather passed away. Abdul Muttalib, We said at eight years old. For we said the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. According to the correct opinion, he passed away when he was, his father passed away, Abdullah, when he was still in the womb of his mother. And then obviously his mother was caring for him, Amina bint Wahab, and then she passed away when he was six years old. And then he went to the custody, if you'd like to say, of his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, who passed away when he was eight years old. And then he went to the custody or being in the care of his uh, of his grand, of his uncle Abu Talib. For Abu Talib. he had no wealth. But it was even more now, emphasized we said, that he goes and that he, he works. And as we said, يعني, he used to be a shepherd, which may look, brothers, like a simple job. But the benefits and the wisdoms of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreeing for every prophet to be a shepherd is amazing. As we're going to see. Yani, why would the hadith say that Allah did not send a prophet except that he was a shepherd? Allah Azza wa will, this is from the wisdom of Allah Azza wa ta'ala that he placed and made every single prophet he sent he placed them in a position to take care of sheep take care of some animals and a flock and the likes and as we're going to see as for preparation but before that just to mention some narrations brothers regarding people and us working with our own hands and how that important that is and not relying on others and not begging from others and things like this. For we see that the Prophet ﷺ not just used to be a shepherd, but he also used to involve himself in trade. The trade, for example, with Abu Talib, the trade with the wealth of his wife Khadija radiallahu anha, as we're going to see, inshaAllah ta'ala, in future lessons when I get back in January, inshaAllah. Also, the Prophet ﷺ, he says and Zakariya the prophet alayhi he was a carpenter and that's why the Egyptian poet Ahmed Shawqi الله ta'ala he was known as al Shu'ara the leader or the head the prince of the poets he mentioned some poetry regarding the prophets all of them working working he says kana أي رسول أو نبي قبله لم يطلب الرزق سبله موسى القليم مستجر وكان عيسى في الصبان الجارة. Implying yani all the prophets pretty much, they all worked or they all went and sought their provision And that's what we need to do once again, not sit back and expect Wallah, everything to come to us And this is the notion or the mentality which we need to instill into future generations Because we do have a problem and for those who don't know people like this or haven't seen people like this, but believe me, we see people like this. And we get brothers who we speak to about these kind of problems. And when it comes to counselling or arbitrations between a husband and a wife, many times it occurs. I'm not saying the majority, but it does happen many times where you see the lady complaining that her husband is not working. Her husband doesn't want to provide. Her husband doesn't want to support. Wallahi, once I had a situation where the lady said that our family, yani her and her parents and the likes, gave the husband an option between the gaming and her, and he chose the gaming. Yani, I, you know, it's sad though, because it's a, it's a real life story. It's not a fable. It's not yani a joke, but this is the problem. So if they grow up addicted, obsessed with these things, like they'll choose these things over everyone and anyone, subhanAllah. The Prophet also mentions. وبعث داوود وهو رَاعِ غنم وبعثت انا وانا ارعى غنما لاهل باجياد لاهل باجياد the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said musa was sent and he was a shepherd Dawood was sent and he was a shepherd and i was sent and, and i used to herd sheep for my people in ajyad which is ajabal a mountain in makkah and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he says ma akala ahad qattu khayran min an ya'kul min 'amali yadihi that no man, no one has ever eaten a better meal than that which he has earned by working with his own hands. By working with his own hands. And then look at the example he gives and think to yourself, why would he choose this prophet out of all the prophets to mention this? He says, <laughs> And in another version, that he didn't used to eat except like this. For he says, and the prophet of Allah, Dawood, alayhi salam, used to eat from the earnings of his manual labor, of him working with his hands. For why would he choose Dawood, alayhi salam, out of all the prophets he could have mentioned? Because Dawood, alayhi salam, my brothers, was a prophet and he was a king. A prophet and he was a king. He didn't need to go out there and work. He didn't need to. He could have came to him with the click of his th- fingers. Ya Inna fil ard Allah says, for he could have easily gotten everything to come to him. But no, he chose to go out there and to work with his hands and from the hardest of work as well. Similar to what we know as a blacksmith, as a blacksmith, similar as Allah Azza wa Jal mentions in the Quran. And I'll, I'll, listen to this story subhanallah the Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu he says a man from the ansar came to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he begged from him now this is rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam who used to call against begging except in very fine circumstances or limited circumstances so he says a man from the ansar came to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam begging from him so the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam out of his wisdom, he said, don't you have anything in your house? The man said, yes, a piece of cloth and a part, or a part of which we wear and a part of which we spread on the ground and a wooden bowl from which we drink water. For the Prophet ﷺ said, bring them to me. The man, he brought these things to the Prophet ﷺ and he took them, yani the Prophet ﷺ took these things with his hands and he said, who will buy these? Who will buy these? And someone said, I will buy them for one coin. Then the Prophet ﷺ said twice or thrice. he repeated, Who will offer more than one coin? Someone said, I'll buy them for two coins. So he sold them for two coins and then the Prophet ﷺ with these two coins, he said, buy food with one of them and give it to your family and buy an axe and bring it to me with the other one. So the man did this. He came to the Prophet ﷺ with an axe, and it had no head, it had no handle. And the Prophet ﷺ fixed a handle with his own hands onto this axe, and then he said, go and gather firewood. Look how he's pushing him to work. He's teaching the ummah a lesson with this man through this example. He says, go and buy or go and gather firewood and sell it. And do not let me see you for a fortnight. So the man went away and he gathered firewood and sold it. When he earned 10 coins, that companion bought that that little pot or bowl and the garment for two coins. So this man now with those two coins, he bought food for him and his family with one coin and he bought the axe With another, went to the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ fixed the handle to the axe, gave the man the axe and said, go and gather firewood and sell it. And don't come back to me until a fortnight passes. So now the fortnight passes, the man comes to the Prophet ﷺ having made 10 coins and he still has the axe. 10 coins with that axe that he got. So then the Prophet ﷺ or the hadith mentions that he came and he bought a garment And food. He bought a garment and food. And he still had the leftover and the axe. Whereby he can still go and work. Then the Prophet ﷺ. He said this is better for you. Than for begging to come as a blemish. A mark. Almost like a symbol and a sign on your face. On the day of resurrection. Begging is only allowed for three people. One in grinding poverty. Severe poverty. One in serious debt. And one who must pay a difficult Compensation now from the wisdoms of the prophets, being shepherds' brothers. One is training on dealing with the communities and the people and 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 the creation and attending to their needs, as we're going to see as well. Number two, improving and increasing the leadership skills, improving and increasing the leadership skills, and included in that is their patience. Now that person that's dealing with that whole flock of sheep. After dealing with them for so long, naturally, your patience is going to rise. Your tolerance is going to rise. Your lenience is going to rise. And through this, you're being prepared of what's going to come. These prophets were being prepared of what's going to come and how they'd have to deal with the flock and the herd in this sense, meaning the community. And regarding the sheep, how it separates, it becomes scattered. And the ra'i, the shepherd, has to protect it. From all types of evil and all types of harm. From highway robbers, for example, trying to come and steal. From the weather and the terrains and the differing weather environments and terrains and the likes. From the other animals trying to eat the sheep. From all of these things, subhanallah. Likewise, the shepherd has to lead and guide that flock has to take it from one place to another, has to take it to eat accordingly, has to take it to drink accordingly. And even within that same flock of sheep, you're going to come across different personalities, if you'd like to say it. For all of this is preparing that prophet or that man who will eventually become a prophet for prophethood. All of it is like preparing for that. And we know, brothers, that all the prophets and messengers, يعني, when they became prophets and messengers and this is a lesson for everyone subhanallah that when they became prophets and messengers especially for example take the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam as an example here prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam never ever ever committed shirk he never ascribed and associated partners with allah azza wa it was only when he became a prophet and then ya ayyuhal mudaththir fa فَأَنْذِرْ to the end, when he became a messenger and started preaching to his people. Before that, the people didn't have a problem. خَلَسْt, you're not committing shirk with us. Khalas, do what you do. It's going to nothing to do with us. When he became a prophet, when he started to preach to them and warn them against that which they're doing, that's when they had the big problem. And that's exactly like us today, brothers especially those brothers who, for example, might be giving advice to their families. Yes, no doubt there are those brothers that do it in the least of wise ways, in just idiotic ways, for example. But when you're being wise, when you're taking the means, when you're doing it the way the Prophet wasallam instructed and according to that manhaj, that's when naturally you'll see that sometimes some of the family members, they might show you some sort of hostility. You know, rebuke you, abuse you, revile you and the likes When you stand up and you say, hold on You shouldn't have that, for example, blue eye on the wall You shouldn't have that amulet hung up You shouldn't swear You shouldn't listen to music Then you feel really the animosity start to build, generally speaking Generally speaking But at the same time, it's upon us to be wise in our da'wah and the way we address the situations and every scenario has a specific way. Especially when it comes for example to children towards their parents or grandparents. And likewise vice versa when it comes to the parents with their bro- or with their children. And when it comes to you with your brothers and sisters and the likes. For here we see subhanallah some of the prophets as we know that were rebuked heavily and reviled and fought and exiled and killed. As comes in the Quran, and the Prophet ﷺ, he says, the most punished person on the day of resurrection is who? The one that is most tortured and punished on the day of resurrection? Rajulun qatalahu nabiyyun Aw nabiyya. A man who a prophet killed. A man who a prophet killed, or a man who killed a prophet. These people. Are the ones that will be tortured most, as the Prophet ﷺ told us on the day of resurrection. And he also says, دلالة, and an imam of misguidance, wa min al as and it comes in another version as well, Allah. And also, so we said one who either kills a prophet or is killed by a prophet. The second, a leader of misguidance. And the third, someone who is like a picture maker. And that's why in the hadith, he also mentions the one who imitates what Allah Azza wa Jal has created. And this is something, as we said, brothers, that in da'wah you're going to face. No one is going to be on the correct way and path and methodology in giving da'wah and be free of any enemies, or be free of any criticism. This is something that is definitely expected. So the da'wah needs patience, brothers. The da'wah needs persistence. The da'wah needs Allah of tolerance and forbearance, subhanAllah. Number three is some scholars, they said, the sheep in this case were specified because they are the ones that generally scatter more quickly, run away here and there and left and right. And so as for things like the cows and the camels and donkeys and stuff like this, then here it's easy to tie them and to hold them down. But as for sheep, and you know, someone who's seen sheep and goats and the likes on a farm, you'll see subhanallah how fast they run away and how fast they scatter and things like this. And despite this, يعني, generally they are more submissive though, and compliant and obedient. Number four is that inner is financial gain. Inner is financial gain. يعني, the Prophet used to get compensation financially for doing this. So there's no problem with that, of course. So inner is financial gain through one's hand, one's own manual labor, which we said يعني, is the best of earnings. Is the best of earnings. And we mentioned already a bit about that. And the one that wants to follow the ulama of the salaf and the khalaf, the salaf and the khalaf, not in just in speech and yani lip service, but in actions as well, he will go and work or try to at least if he's able to. If he's able to. Now Allah follow the salaf, follow the salaf, follow the salaf in speech. But when it comes to working and things like this, now I'm not a follower of the salaf. Because when you look into When you look into the lives of the Salaf and the ulama, even who came after them, you see that many of them were workers, and many of them had work that was very, you know, demanding, very demanding. Which is also another, you know, a point regarding understanding or correcting some notions. You get some people today, when they think of a sheikh, when they think of a alim, when they think of a scholar or a whatever da'i or a Ustaz or a brother in da'wah, you know, they have the mentality that what These guys have to be sitting in a masjid in the office waiting for people to come to them with their problems. Or sitting there, wallahi, and I personally experience this in the sense that sometimes brothers, they'll call wallahi four, five, six times after each other in a row. Akhi, if I didn't answer the first or second time, why are you still calling? Take it easy. Do you think that wallahi, we sit on the phone, oh subhanallah, you know, this brother is waiting, oh, he's calling me, oh, I've been waiting for this call all day, salamu alaikum. You know, I've been waiting for you all day, five hours, sitting in my office, just waiting for you to call. That's not how it is, Brothers. And that's not the way our perception of what a sheikh should be. That's not, you know, some people unfortunately when they think or they see let's say a sheikh working, they'll think, wallah, he's working, he's not even a sheikh. That's how some people they think. But when we look like we said into the lives of the ulama, the lives of the prophets, they were people who used to work and work hard. If I don't have that, you know, understanding that wallah or thought that a sheikh is wallah just someone sits in a corner in the masjid all day. Man, when's this guy gonna call me so I can deal with all of his problems? That's not how it is subhanallah. And some of the uh, examples of that brothers comes in a book uh, noted uh, or named At-Turfa. aw It's mentioned approximately 400 occupations, jobs. That approximately 1,500 ulama used to have in this one book. In this one book, and many of the ulama who we hear, like al barbahari, like al anmati like al haddadi, all of these words that we generally are accustomed to hearing and reading in the books, they're called that attributed to the work that they used to do, attributed to the work that they used to do and I put uh, you know about 10 examples but I'll leave it insha'Allah just you know for the sake of time so yani, a final reminder as well brothers before we move on to the next topic uh, how long have we been going for does anyone have the, the, the time uh, someone check it and put up your hand inshallah, because I don't want to make it too long yeah uh, no, I know that's the time But I want to know how long we've been going for Jazakallahu <laughs> khayrah for your uh, contribution Allah ibarik feekum So a final reminder Before we go on to the topic of harbul fijar brothers 31? Uh, let me know when we get to 45 inshallah Alright, khalas, inshallah ta'ala So a final reminder brothers is that Brother, uh, sorry uh, Is the aircon working today? Or is it not working or something? What's going on here? Is that yani you know, it, has the bill not been paid or? No. <laughs> as a final reminder, brothers, يعني, before we move on to the next topic, inshallah, is look, we said that generally a shepherd is looked at as like a simple job and the likes, right? And there's no problem. Look, wallahi, I thought it already. so <laughs> i think it was definitely off for here generally the shepherd is looked at as a simple job and today subhanallah once again some brothers they have the mentality that for me to go work for example as a janara, for me to go work for example as something like this no way but when they come to working in a haram job that gets the money that gets the money they got no problem with that brothers a muslim a muslim should not look at where the money is going to come from, meaning that if I make, for example, do this, I'm going to get 5,000 a week or 5,000 a fortnight. But if I do this, I'm going to get probably 1,000 a week. Let me go and do this and not care where it's coming from. The Prophet ﷺ said that we'll be asked on the day of resurrection, we're going to be asked about our wealth, where and how we acquired it, how we got our money, where did we get it from and how we spent it, where it came from, And how it was spent. So don't ever have in your mind that, Wallah, I'm not going to take that job, even though you need it. And you might go and work in Haram if you don't take that job, but I'm not going to take that job, because that job is embarrassing. Or that job is... Wallahi, brothers, a a Muslim man, he would prefer to work as a janitor, cleaning toilets all day toilets all day, cleaning bathrooms and the likes, wallahi, if it means getting my money in a halal way, rather, and opposed to working as a drug dealer, billah, working in a haram environment and place, we should prefer, if we know our religion, the first over the second. The first over the second. For we care, is the money coming from a halal source? That's what we're concerned with. That's what we want. Not from a haram source. It doesn't matter how much we're able to get and acquire and attain and the likes. The second topic of today, brothers, I think we'll finish off with this one and we'll leave off Hilful Fudul for January inshallah because I, I don't want to make it too long. The second topic, brothers, was an incident in the seerah which I referred to earlier regarding the first battle or the battle where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi participated in when he was 15 years old. And we said some of the ulama, they said when he was 20 it was known as Harbul Fijar, the sacred religious wars. And it was called that. It was called that because it was in the sacred month that battle took place. And fighting in the sacred months Islamically, Islamically is not allowed, Yani. It was looked at even to the Arabs as something which was, you know, abhorrent. Something that was evil. But it was inviolable for this. It was not allowed, but it happened. For it was known as Harbul Fijar, the sacrilegious wars. And we said, Yani, we said that the Prophet ﷺ participated in this, and this was Wallahu A'lam, his first battle that he participated in. Not necessarily the fighting and the likes, but what he used to do, as is mentioned, is that he used to go and collect the arrows. He used to go and collect the arrows of the enemies which would fall and give them to his uncles to utilize them. And he used to even organize the arrows themselves for his uncles when they were participating in that in that battle. And it was between Quraysh and Banu Kinana and Qais and those who allied with them, who they had a pact with like Hawazin and Banu Thaqif and Banu Sulaim, who were are going to get to know more inshaAllah about in the future. For the leader of Quraysh, and Kinana at the time was an individual by the name of Harb ibn Umayyah. And he was obviously known of high status amongst them. It was mentioned that at the beginning of the day, Qais had the upper hand. And towards the middle of the day, that uh, Quraysh and Kinana took the upper hand. For we said he brothers 15 years old, subhanallah. Let us say even 20. Yani, see, they work, they actually get out, they do things, they get accustomed to this. As I said, unfortunately, not like what we have today in our communities. Alhamdulillah, we do got a lot of boys that do go out and work in one, two, three. Even the teens. To be fair, yani. But I'm just saying as a reminder to those who don't, especially the parents or the older brothers and the likes, if you have these siblings, get them to do things. And if you can't, let's just say legitimately, the father can't take his kid to work for whatever reason يعني, and it's a legitimate reason then get them to do things at home and around the house but just don't get them accustomed to sitting all day or playing all day or relaxing all day so that they develop that lazy and lethargic personality. I think we'll go inshallah just 10 minutes brothers so we can finish off that last topic which is the third topic of today which is Khilful Fudul. Khilful Fudul generally was translated and is translated into English, has been translated into English into many ways like the alliance or confederation of virtue and justice. A confederation brothers is usually referred to groups coming together or a number of parties huh, coming together who unite in an alliance and uh, to cooperate for a common cause or to work towards a common cause. That's what generally our, our confederation is. And to show you how important this khilf was, this alliance was, as he says, Kana fuduli sumi'a bih, wa ashrafahu fil Arab. That this alliance which we're going to discuss now was the most noble, honorable alliance which was heard of and amongst the Arabs. So Abdul Rahman ibn Auf radiyallahu taala anhu he reported that the Prophet sallallahu wa wasallam says, "Shahidtu ma'a rumma ti hilfa al mutayyabin, fma ahub an uh, fma ahub an ankutha wa anna li na'am. He says that I was present with my uncles at the alliance of the perfumed, which was another name. Wallahu a'lam. According to the correct opinion of hilful fudul. Ah, uh, al-Mutayyabin was its other name Which is the alliance of the perfume Then inshallah we're gonna say now Very shortly why it was called that So he says And I would not wish to break it Even for the red camels And you see a lot of times Brothers in the narrations This concept of The red camels The red camels to the Arabs Were pretty much The most prized possessions The Arabs used to love them And they used to want them and desire them and things like this. For it used to be like an example. You know, I would prefer this over anything. I would prefer prefer this, whatever it is, over the red camels, meaning over the most luxurious of items, subhanAllah. And also the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, illa hilfa al I did not attend, I did not witness an alliance Of Quraysh, except for the alliance of the perfumed. And he said, "Oh, And Hilful uh, Fudul brothers, as we said, also known as Hilful Mutayyabin, the alliance of the perfumed. Why was it called also Hilful Mutayyabin, the alliance of the perfumed? Because the ones that gathered together and agreed, they were to place their hands in a pot which had perfume in it. A pot which had perfume in it, So those who agreed to that alliance and the likes that were there, they placed their hands into that pot with perfume in it, and they would then further place uh, their hands on the Kaaba after that. So it was like a treaty or a pact between the tribes of Mecca, including Banu Hashim and Banu Muttalib and Banu Asad and Banu Zuhra and Banu Taym uh, ibn Murrah, And it occurred approximately four months after Harbul Fijar, which we just spoke about now, that first battle the Prophet ﷺ took part in. Uh, this alliance occurred approximately four months as mentioned. Or as is mentioned. Others they mentioned one month, and others they mentioned other things. The point is it occurred uh, a few months after Wallahu Ta'ala wa'alam, which also shows us that when it comes to meetings or important meetings and things like this, once again, if you're able to take those who are with you of that younger our generation and the likes. Get them accustomed and used to these kind of things. As we know, the sunnah has many examples of that. Take them with you. Take them with you and get them used to these things. It occurred, as we said, approximately four months after, according to that difference of opinion, in one of the sacred months, one of the four, which was Dhul-Qi'udah. They got together in the home of Abdullah ibn uh, 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 Jud'an, who actually passed away as a disbeliever, and we're going to see. They got together in his house. And obviously, as some of the ulama, they said this was due to his status and his age as well. And he was actually the cousin of Abu Bakr's father. Abu Bakr's father was his cousin, Abdullah ibn Jud'an, which was the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa second, sorry, Abu Bakr's second cousin, then Abdullah ibn Jud'an. And it's actually mentioned, and his name comes in a hadith, where Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha wa an Abiha, she says, Ya Rasulullah, a messenger of Allah, Ibn Jud'an, this individual يعني, who they gathered at, when the Prophet wasallam was still at that tender age of say 15 or 20 according to the differences of opinion. When they met together these heads of the tribes of Quraysh and the likes to come together to form that alliance at the house of who we said? Abdullah ibn Jud'an. Now Aisha radiyallahu ta'ala anha, how many years later on? She says, Ya Rasulullah ibn Jud'an, A messenger of Allah. This man, Ibn Jud'an, meaning this man that we've been speaking about now, and pay attention to these brothers. That's why some of the ulamat, they put it under the chapter heading, the chapter of the proof that whoever dies on disbelief, no action will assist him or aid him or help him. Nothing. So she says, Ibn Ibn Jud'an, she says Ibn Jud'an, a messenger of Allah, this man, at the time of jahiliyyah, he used to maintain and connect the family ties, and he used to feed the poor. Are these actions going to benefit him? And this is subhanAllah like today, where you see some who maybe do what we know as good deeds, who are kaffar and mushrikun. For example, they may be feed the poor and the orphans or take care of the orphans, for example. They may be give in charity. They may be adopt, even though we know Islamically adoption, the way we understand it in the West is not allowed. Where we go and take the kid. And we already spoke about that, alhamdulillah. You can go back to those previous lessons if you didn't hear it. ف... He used to do all of these actions. Is that going to benefit him? So look what the Prophet ﷺ, he answered. He says, لَا يَنفَعُهُ it is not going to benefit him. Why? <laughs> he never said, not even once. He ever, ever, or never, ever said, Oh my Lord, forgive me for my uh, 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 sins on the day uh, of resurrection. And it was mentioned, brothers, that the reason for this alliance, why would they have all gotten together? in the house of Abdullah ibn Jud'an to form this alliance. What's the reason? It was mentioned that the reason for this is that a man from Zubayd, an area in Yemen, a Yemeni man from the area of Zubayd, arrived at Makkah with some trade items. And an individual by Al-As ibn Wa'il, he bought those items off of him from this Yemeni man, but he never paid him his haq. He never paid him his right. He never gave him uh, what he was meant to give him of whatever he owed him for, those purchased items. So Al-As ibn Wa'il, who bought them off him and never gave that Yemeni man his right, never gave him the price for what he took, he was known at the time amongst the Meccans and the likes. So now this man from Yemen... He called onto the heads and the respected of some of those who were his allies, like Abdul dawr Makhzum, Jumah Saham, Adi ibn Ka'b, and we're gonna say, inshallah, these are gonna come across in the seerah in the future, inshallah ta'ala. So he called onto them for help. Yeah, he's not giving me my right. I'm not asking him for anything except my heart. And no one wanted to help him from them. No one wanted to help him from them. Why? Because of their relationship. With Al-As ibn Wa'il Who took that money Or took those items unjustly So no one helped So he went and he climbed on a mountain Known as Jabal Abu Qubais In Mecca He went and he climbed on top of the mountain And it's residing on yani, the eastern frontier in Mecca And it's actually mentioned in a narration which is weak That this is the first mountain That Allah Azza wa Jal placed on earth Jabal Abu Qubais. It's mentioned in the hadith it's attributed to the Prophet ﷺ that Jabal Abu Qubais was the first mountain which Allah Azza placed on earth. But the hadith is weak. The hadith is not authentic, but it's mentioned in there. For at sunrise, he climbed the mountain and Quraysh was around the Kaaba. And then now this man from Zubayd, this Yemeni man who was oppressed, he recited some lines of poetry describing his oppression and the one that oppressed him and the likes, and he called for assistance. So he says, يا أَلَفِهِرِن لِمَظْلُومٍ بِضَاعَتَهُ بِبَطْنِ مَكَّةَ وَالنَّفَرِ وَمُحْرِمٌ أَشْعَثُ لَمْ يَقْضِ عُمْرَتَهُ يَالَ الرِّجَالِ وَبَيْنَ الْحِجْرِ وَالْحَجْرِ إِنَّ الْحَرَامَ لِمَنْ تَمَّتْ كَرَامَتُهُ وَلَا حَرَامَ لِثُوَبِ الْفَاجِرِ Yani mentioning his the, the, the instance, and then after this, Zubayr ibn Abdul Muttalib. When you hear Ibn Abdul Muttalib, Az Zubair ibn Abdul Muttalib, the brother of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's father Abdullah, which means it was the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa uncle. Fa'z, Zubair ibn Abdul Muttalib stands, the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Then he got some of the tribes together and he made the alliance. He made the alliance. Then they went to Al As ibn Wail and took the items and returned to the Uh, Zubaydi which was that Yemeni man And it's also been collected brothers So, so, So this pact pretty much This alliance was made And they agreed that no one In Mecca is going to be oppressed Whether he's from the people Of Mecca or other than Mecca Oppression my brothers is a serious thing Oppression is a serious thing And how many today are oppressed Whether it's between the husband and the wife. The husband gets oppressed when the wife doesn't fulfill his rights and needs and the likes. The wife gets oppressed when the husband doesn't fulfill her needs and the likes. Whether it's financial or any other form and sort of needs. The kids get oppressed when the parents aren't fulfilling their needs and their requirements and their obligation towards them. Workers are getting oppressed when the bosses aren't giving them their wages. When the bosses aren't giving them their wages on time, bosses are getting oppressed. When their workers aren't fulfilling the rights of the boss, like buying and selling, and things are getting people are getting oppressed. Look at the RTA app that came out the other day. I mean, everyone's pulling back the kilometer, the odometers. Haram, brothers. Wallah, it's haram. Wallahi, it's haram. You're selling cars to your brothers, even to the kafir. you're not allowed. You are selling cars and the cars been wounded back 100, 200, 300,000 kilometers. Like my own neighbor, Wallahi, over 400,000 kilometers. His cars went back and the guy didn't know. Wallahi, it's haram. Oppression. The Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, Oppression is darkness on the day of resurrection. For if you know a brother like that, you have to help him. The Prophet ﷺ says, Unsur أو أو Help your brother, assist your brother, whether he's an oppressor or the oppressed. They said, Ya Rasulullah, we know how to help him if he's oppressed. If he's oppressed, it's clear. But how do we help him if he's an oppressor? The Prophet ﷺ says, To stop him from his oppression. You stop him from his oppression, advise him, warn him. Tell him, stop him whatever way you can with your hand as the hadith says, if you're able to. If you can't, with your tongue. I don't mean with your hand, uh, no, no, not like that. Uh, With your tongue, if you're able to. And if you can't do with the hand or then the tongue after that by speaking and advising, then with your heart and that's the weakest of faith as the Prophet ﷺ said. And he also said, and I'll end with this, the Prophet ﷺ said, he says, "It taqadawta al-mazlum." Fear the dua of the oppressed. Fear, for indeed there is no value between it and Allah. As he says in another narration as well, there are certain number of supplications that will not be rejected, and one of them is one of them is the dua of the oppressed individual, the supplication of the oppressed individual. For it's mentioned, brothers, why was it called hilful fudul? Fudul. It was mentioned, wallahu a'lam that the first that were called to this. Alliance, this pact, if you'd like to say, were three individuals who each had the name of Al-Fadl: Al-Fadl ibn al-Harith, Al-Fadl ibn wadaa and Al-Fadl ibn al Wallahu A'lam It's also mentioned other things as well as to why it was called that. And Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. And it's mentioned as well uh, uh, um, uh, that in al-Fadlul Ta'aqadu wa tahalafu Allah yuqima bi batin Makkah ta'zalimun. أَمْرٌ عَلَيْهِ فَالْجَارُ فِيهِمْ Salimu. So just uh, lines yani, that were mentioned regarding this, regarding the intent behind this also, that they got together to stop any oppression happening in Makkah. Anyone that was oppressed, whether he was from Makkah, and from the people of Makkah and the likes, whether he was from the honorable or not, or whether it was someone outside of Makkah, that if someone's being oppressed, that we're going to support and help with that oppression and we're going to try our best to alleviate it and remove it and stop it from happening in the first place so that alhamdulillah today, brothers, is the topic of the prophet sallallahu as a shepherd and also harbul fijar the sacrilegious religious wars and also hilful fudul the allegiance of virtue or justice or as we said has been translated in other ways jazakumullahu wallahu a'lam ala muhammad wa ala alihi wa wa